We're continuing uh, in Revelation, the third chapter, as we're talking about uh, what happens when Jesus shows up. And this uh, letter to the church at Laodicea regarding the church that was neither hot nor cold, but lukewarm. How many of you know that it's important to be hot? That's passionate. That is spirit-filled in your faith. And it's not good to be cold. But in that coldness, when we realize that we need to be fired up, we need to be revived, there really is hope for us when we realize that we need to be spiritually renewed. How many of you also know that there's a condition of lukewarmness that we can fall into as Christians where we don't care and we don't care that we don't care and we can continue to drift in indifference and this is a huge problem. Did you know that uh, in uh, many countries around the world now that they're having prayer meetings for our churches in the United States that we would be stirred up. Our dead churches are a new mission field in world evangelism. And uh, we're hearing this every time we have our, our, our annual convention with Foursquare, and we invite leaders from other countries to come. And uh, they are ready to pray for us and to help us and encourage us because they realize that it's the lukewarm church in the U.S. of America, that represents a huge need for spiritual renewal. I'll never forget when I was uh, a young uh, student in California back in the <clears throat> early 70s, and I had the chance to uh, meet Moish Rosen, who was the founder of Jews for Jesus. And we went to a, a small gathering of ministry leaders and youth leaders in the Bay Area to hear from him. And uh, as he told his testimony, he said something that has stayed with me ever since. He said, well, he says, I can't play church anymore. He said, I realized that the church was not intended to be a country club for saints, but a hospital for sinners. Country club for saints. You know, a place where people come and appreciate their membership and their place of social prominence and prestige. and their, It's almost as if they owned the church and could do with it what they want, but it was Christ who died for the church, not our country club saints. Forgive me if I'm stepping on anybody's toes this morning, but God didn't call us. God didn't call us to mediocrity. He called us to uh, passion. He called us to Holy Ghost fire. <laughs> he called us to broken hearts and yielded lives where we can do the work of the gospel in our time. How many of you know that it costs something to be His? It costs something to be in this world representing Him when He is being rejected. And if our faith isn't costing us anything, if there's no passion, there aren't any tears in our worship, something's got to change. We've got to be stirred up. We've got to be changed. 
We've got to be uh, transformed. As we look into, again, this very important letter in the book of Revelation to the Laodicea church, we realize that uh, there's a message here for us today. As Jesus said, I wish that you were hot or cold, but because you are lukewarm, I want to spit you out of my mouth. We realize that our lukewarmness makes God sick. Our lukewarmness is something that God will not tolerate forever. Our lukewarmness prevents us from entering into the fullness of the kingdom. And so God wants to deal with us. He wants us to lead out, lead us out of this lukewarmness. We realize in all the letters to the churches, and let me just give you an overview of the book of Revelation. And by the way, have you realized that God doesn't want us to read the book of Revelation as our own fortune-telling book? You know, so many Christians miss the, the great message of the book of Revelation because they're so busy with this fortune-telling uh, mentality, trying to find this sign or that sign for this historic event or that This is a message to the church for spiritual restoration in every generation, in every age. I can remember a time when I was afraid of the book of Revelation. How about you? It seemed so mysterious. And then I began to realize this is a book of hope. This is a book of spiritual renewal. This is a book of promise. And I began to enjoy the book of Revelation because I realized that In it, there was hope for all of us as believers. But we see here the letters to the churches. And let me just briefly say that uh, as as the letter goes out to the church of Ephesus, and they are commended for hard work and perseverance, but they're rebuked for forsaking their first love. The letter to Smyrna commends them for suffering persecution and poverty. And there is no rebuke, but encouragement to continue to be faithful. For the church at Pergamon, they are commended for being true to the faith, but they are rebuked for tolerating compromise. To the church at Thyatira, they are commended for their love and their faith and their service, but they are rebuked for tolerating immorality. For the church at Sardis, They are commended for their effectiveness, but they are rebuked for being superficial. They're called to wake up and to repent. And the church at Philadelphia, they're commended for their faithfulness, and there is no rebuke, and they're encouraged to hold on. And we see here for the church of Laodicea, they are rebuked for their lukewarmness, And they are called to be earnest and to repent. Yet they're the only church that has no commendation. Wouldn't it be sad to come to the fullness of your life as a church and realize that as Jesus looks at your hearts, there is nothing to commend. That was the condition of the church of Laodicea. They were lukewarm. They needed to repent. And we as believers need to realize that Jesus looks upon us as a congregation, each of us individually. 
and that he stands in judgment of us. We realize that ultimately we don't judge ourselves. No man judges us. Certainly no Christian or group of Christians judge us. We stand before Christ himself. He shows up and says, here I am. Here I am. I stand before you. And he has authority to judge. He has authority to call us to repentance. He has authority to transform our lives. Now, last week, we left uh, Jesus standing at the door, knocking, and uh, prepared to come in. And let's go back to Revelation 3.20. As we see Jesus at the door, this is the rich image of Christ calling the church to repentance. Now, a lot of believers have only thought that this verse is only for the unbeliever to accept Jesus for the first time as personal Savior. But it really is written to the Christian for Jesus to be invited in for spiritual renewal. Jesus knocking at our lives saying, I want to be first in your life. I want you to love me and be passionate about me. I want you to care about me more than you care about yourself or anything else. It's a very tender image here as we read in verse 20. Jesus says, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. How do we resist Christ's personal invitation to have intimate fellowship with us? Isn't that a frightening thought that our will is strong enough to say no to God, to refuse to open the door, to refuse his request for fellowship? His request to have communion with us, yet every time we put him off, every time we say no, every time we choose something else, we leave him waiting at the door. Isn't that a tragic uh, thought that we have so many times disappointed him by refusing him when he wanted so much more relationship that we are willing to give. Now, I want us to focus this morning on the practical application of this image and just think about why is it that we leave Jesus waiting at the door? Why is it that we refuse to let him in? And we learned some important lessons from this church, the, the letter to the church at Laodicea. And there are other lessons here, very important for us to realize. How many of you if you discover that you are not allowing Jesus to come in and have full control, that some repentance is in order. There's no other prescription other than to repent and ask God to change our hearts and our minds and our behavior. So, why do we leave Jesus waiting at the door? Well, the first reason is, and this is right out of his exhortation to Laodicea, because of our prosperity and our materialism how is it that 
God blesses us in so many wonderful ways, blesses us financially and materially, and then we allow our material possessions to get in the way of our relationship with God. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10 says that the love of money is the root of all evil. Now, a lot of Christians wish that wasn't in the Bible, but it really is. Because God doesn't want us to love material things. He doesn't want us to love money or prosperity. He doesn't want us to set our affection on anything in this world. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. We know it, don't we? Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all the other things that you need will be added to you. That's how He wants us to live as Christians. And how is it that we leave Jesus waiting at the door because we're holding on to some material possession or we have some kind of a desire to have more accumulation in this world. And the church at Laodicea was rebuked for being prosperous in the things of the world and being poor and needy in the things of God. And Jesus said, you need to make a choice. To be prosperous in the things of my kingdom. And then, and then, I will enter in and have fellowship with you. The second thing we see, why do we leave Jesus at the door? Simply because of our pride. Our pride. We've got better things to do. Our lives are sufficient without him. This church at Laodicea appeared to be self-sufficient proud of their prosperity and their religion, and there was no need, no need to humble themselves before a beckoning Savior. We read in Matthew, the fifth chapter in the Beatitudes, that blessed are the poor in spirit, those who realize their spiritual poverty, for they shall see God. Isn't it something that it's a requirement that we acknowledge our need for God before we could really see Him, we can really know Him? If there's anything that would come between us and God, it's our pride. There's a story by Dwight L. Moody about uh, a woman who came into his meetings and was excited about the services, and she asked if she might meet with him privately to accept Jesus Christ as her Savior. And he said, well, why won't you come forward publicly? And she said, oh, that's too embarrassing. And he said, unless you're willing to be embarrassed before God in your, in your acknowledgement of Jesus Christ as your Lord, there's no chance for you to enter the kingdom. Is that possible? In our own pride? in our own sense of self-dignity, that we would miss out on what God has for us? Number three, we realize that uh, there are some that fail to open the door because of their fear. We might say their paranoia. Do you know what paranoia is? The, biblical, the uh, dictionary definition? It's an unusual fear that begins to to cause problems in your thinking and your emotions. 
And excuse me, but there are some Christians that are afraid to let God really have His way with them because they're afraid of what God might require, what God might do. How many of you know that God can wreck your life? He can absolutely change things. The way you have your life planned, guess what? God may bring in his bulldozer and completely remove that plan and build on a new foundation. If you're afraid of what might change, what God might require, you might just hesitate and put off the kingdom of God. 1 Timothy uh, chapter 1, verse 7 says that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Listen. If you truly fear God, there is no reason to fear anything else. You need to rise above that hesitation. If you're afraid of how God might deal with you and realize God knows us, He knows what's best for us, we need to offer ourselves fully to Him. The fourth reason that uh, we may leave Jesus waiting at the door is because we have let people become too important. That is pleasing others. I'll never forget my mother saying, either you're going to be a self-pleaser or a people-pleaser or a God-pleaser. Make your choice. That's pretty good counsel, isn't it? How many of you know that we all would like to please ourselves? That we're all vulnerable to trying to impress and please other people? Yet when God helps us to realize that it's His pleasure that is the only thing that really is important. And we realize that sometimes we may have to do things that people who love us don't understand, don't agree with, don't accept. It's important for us not to take a vote among all of our friends before we decide to do the will of God. Because often God requires us to do the very thing that no one understands. No one will support. <laughs> no one will be able <clears throat> to lead you that way. And you have to say yes to God. Uh, Jesus spoke about the kingdom in a harsh way. Where he said you even have to separate from your mother and from your father. <laughs> your brother, your sister, those that are closest to you that love you the most for the sake of the kingdom. We all have to make hard decisions sometimes. To say yes to Jesus and to open the door and say no to everyone else who would like to run our lives <clears throat> the way they think is best. Well, and number five, why do we leave Jesus at the door? Sometimes it's because we're not willing to give up our plans. We have an ambition, we have a desire, we have a goal that is so important to us. And James, the third chapter, very interesting study there about how you may say that you want to move to this city and uh, you're going to make money during this year and you're going to go on to be successful. We can all relate to that because we all have our plans and our desires. And let me tell you that we're in a dangerous situation in our lives as Christians when we begin to make our plans according to our own fashion and then ask God just to bless those plans. We don't let God, through the desires He puts in our hearts, change our plans so that we want what He wants for us. Have you discovered by now that to, the way to be fulfilled as a Christian is not 
to get God to bless you the way you are, but let go of your life. Let God change your attitudes and your plans. And you realize that as you seek to be pleasing to God, God puts His desires in you and fulfills those desires and you become ultimately fulfilled. We have to stop wrestling with God. We have to let go and let Him have His way and how important it is for us to surrender our plans. I had some pretty good plans for my life once. How about you? God wrecked them, everyone. And I'm grateful that He did because His plan for me was so much better than any plan I had for myself. Okay. So here we are. At the end of our service this morning. And there's Jesus wanting to come into every area of our life and to have his way. How many of you this morning would just share with me and say, you know what? I don't want to be lukewarm. I don't want to be mediocre. I don't want to let my life drift and not count. I want to be passionate for Christ and his kingdom. I want to cry the tears that come with a broken heart where I care about what God cares about. Well, let's say yes to Jesus. Can we do that? Remember that picture we talked about last week, that famous painting of Jesus standing at the door? And the obvious thing that's missing is there's no latch on the outside. It's got to be open from the inside. Only we can open up and let God have his way. Now, the practicality of this is we've got to let him into every area, every closet, every room, every, every drawer, every corner, and say, Lord, have your way. I surrender and I submit to you. Do we want uh, spiritual renewal? Do we want revival? Well, it only comes by saying yes to Jesus, no to self, no to the world, no to everyone else, as we say, yes, Lord, I want you to be first. Lord, help us this morning, even as we consider this glorious letter that you wrote to your church and how there's a message for each one of us not to leave you standing, waiting for our invitation, but Lord, you want us to open the door. You want us, oh God, to Let you freely come in. Help us this morning, O God, to make those choices. Help us, O God, to hold nothing back. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.